How messed up would you be if Roy from The Office was your dad? What's up, Story Geeks? It's Daryl Smith. We are smack dab in the middle of our horror movie series. And on today's podcast, Megan Salinas, horror aficionado and host of the YouTube channel Silver Screams and the podcast No Love Lost, and our good buddy Scott Nicewander from Nerd Sync joined Sandra Demas and myself to dig deeper into Brightburn. Don't miss out on any of these eerie October episodes. Subscribe for free on your preferred podcast provider. And if you're not into horror, don't fear. Because fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to missing out on our seven-week Star Wars series coming up in November and leading up to the rise of Skywalker. So be sure to subscribe. For more information on the Story Geeks podcast and additional shows, please visit thestorygeeks.com. And stay tuned until the end of this podcast for more information about our brand new channel dedicated to Disney+. Plus. Yeah, you heard that right. More on that later. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Now let's dig deeper into Brightburn. All right, we're going to dig deeper into Brightburn. This is episode two in our horror movie series. And if my voice sounds like a horror movie in and of itself, I'm just recovering from being sick. So I feel fine, but my voice does not sound like I feel fine. So I apologize for the scratchiness. I'm going to talk as little as I can. But uh, fret not because we have Scott Nicewander, Megan Salinas, and Sandra Demas in the studio. So you have the cream of the crop as far as podcasting goes. So what you're about to hear is going to be epic. Yeah. Right, guys? Definitely. Right, okay. Cream of the crop. (laughs) Um, So as I mentioned, Sandra's with us, my co-host tonight. Hello, Hello. Sandra. And then our two, well, Megan, are you a... Are you a guest on this series or are you a host on this series? Uh, it's a little nebulous, huh? I, I would say guest. Uh, I would never want to overstep my bounds. So I'll say guest. How about, a super guest. How about we be topical and call you a ghost? Ooh. Oh, <gasps> Can I be your ghost host? <laughs> yes. Yay. Okay. Ghost host. Done. Uh, all right. <laughs> Megan, remind everybody what you're up to on the internet and all that good stuff. Uh, I do lots of things. Um, I am a mostly a host uh, for uh, a channel on YouTube called Silver Screams. So if you can't tell, I do love talking about horror things. So me and my co-host talk about horror things on that particular channel. And I am also a podcast host for a Lost retrospective podcast called No Love Lost, where my co-host Will Link loves Lost, and I don't. And we talk about it. Still not? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Season Seasons one and two are so, so good <laughs> that I'm falling back into the trap of like, oh, I love this show, only for season three to to smack mm. me in the face. I know it's going to happen, and I'm falling for it anyway. <laughs> um, but I am also a podcast host on Rooster Team Radio, so go check all of those things out. They're all a ton of fun. Cool, cool. And then we have our very good friend returning for the 738th time <laughs> from NerdSync, Mr. Scott Nicewander. Scott, welcome back. Thank you so much. Great to be back. Remind everybody about NerdSync and all your greatness out there. Yeah, so I run a YouTube channel called NerdSync, where I take comics and superheroes and use them to teach about real-world history, science, philosophy, culture, and art, and all sorts of cool stuff. I trick people into learning by taking the thing that they love and making it educational. People hate me for it. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, (laughs) I love that. My mouth is a gape. You can't hear it, but I'm like... (gasps) 
<laughs> sounds amazing. She's going to stay up all night watching NerdSync videos. Oh, no. Well, I haven't uploaded one in quite a while. Uh, so. But you've been doing it for a very long time. So That's there are true. Quite it's a few been of them out there. It's been it's been a bit for sure, but I will say the most important thing on my agenda today, besides this podcast, is that I did buy new socks, so I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that out there into the world, just so everyone can share in it's my important. joy. Foot comfort is important. That's right. Well, I I love that you guys are all here because, like Megan said, she's the horror movie fan, <laughs> and Scott is educating the world on comic books through comic books. And I know you're a huge Superman fan, right, Scott? I I am pretty. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm Superman lukewarm. I think. <laughs> oh really? I was gonna say that wasn't a yes. So yeah. he's not up there with as not up there with Aquaman for you. That's for sure. No, not no. Aquaman's <laughs> top tier for sure for me. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Love it. All right. Well, we are gonna talk about Brightburn, which has both horror movie and comic book movie in it. So this should be cool. Um, I already sort of spoiled this, but there's one word that's written all over this movie, and it's a word that you will not find anywhere in the movie or on the DVD features. They ignore it. They stay away from it as much as they can, but we're going to go ahead and say it, and that is Superman. <laughs> Most people <laughs> would describe... You? I know, right? You're not supposed to say that. Well, I can do what I want. Yeah, dude, oh, okay. you can't just... You can't just come out and do that. Yeah. Sure, I that's can. crossing Someone's a line. Sue. Sure, I can. <laughs> <laughs> Warner Brothers is going to come knocking down yeah. the doors of the studio right now, mm -hmm. man. That would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Anyway, I, I can get my foot in the door. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you're like, while you're here, a I have a plan pitch for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. Um, but most people would sort of describe this movie as "What if Superman was evil?" Um, so I'm curious. Before you guys even saw the movie, and I know for at least a couple of you, that was very recent. I know that, Scott, you watched it probably just yesterday for the first time, right? Oh, I saw it about 20 minutes ago for there the first time. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it is fresh in my mind. <laughs> Boom. That's, that's research right there. Yep. <laughs> um, well, before you guys even saw the movie, how did that idea sit with you? Like, did you think it was cool? Did you want this story? Um, Megan, why don't you kick us off on that? Uh, I dug it. Like, um, in addition to being a big horror movie fan, I am also a big comic book fan. I mostly, most of the time I talk about Marvel-related stuff and things related to the MCU. Um, but, like, DC is, like, what a lot of people fall in love with when they first get into comic books, and there's a lot of history there. And so taking the Superman mythos, even though kind of, I'm kind of also lukewarm on Superman himself, um, just as a character, uh, he's not one of the ones that I, I champion when I when I tend to talk about um, the merits of comic books. But historically, he's so important, um, and and that's also not to say that like a lot of interesting stuff hasn't been done with him. It has, like, um, and that's one of the reasons why I wonder about the merits of this movie, where it's like. <laughs> evil Superman or or a different what if story in regards to Superman where it's like I, I I was really excited for this movie because I love when you you put my two favorite things together and you put your hands together and it's awesome so you got you got your horror in my comics and you got my comics in my horror and it's great usually but I'm sensing maybe not so much this time <laughs> I don't know like 
initially I dug it, but I'm also I also fully recognize that it's not an entirely out there idea of like what if Superman bad because that was the whole crux of like Batman's conflict in Batman v Superman was what if this guy's bad mm. and it's not like <laughs> there wasn't an entire graphic novel called Red Sun that talked about what if Superman's uh, upbringing and those circumstances were different how would that change him as a person mm-hmm. and. And also, like, I'm also a big anime fan, and one of the biggest <laughs> animes in Western culture is Dragon Ball Z. And the char- the lead character, Goku, his origin story is essentially a Superman ripoff, where he came to Earth. He's a space alien. He came to Earth. But initially, he came to Earth to destroy it, got hit on the head, completely forgot he, that was pr- his particular mission, and so he was raised to be good, and he ended up just being a good guy. So to me, this was more of like the Goku story if Goku had never gotten hit on the head. <laughs> so right. I I dug it, but at the same time, like what I actually got, I don't think particularly satisfied me all that much. But like we can talk about that when we get to it. <laughs> okay. Scott, what did you think? Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting because I feel like in a lot of classic – um, horror movies, you have this feeling of, uh, like, the setting usually takes place where the characters have this a feeling of isolation, where you have something, like, out in, like, a cabin in the woods sort of a thing, or, or you know, you have to be isolated from society, and that's part of what makes it scary. And I guess I never realized how perfect just Smallville would be as, like, a horror setting, because it has that isolated feel to it. Um, whereas like Superman moves on to Metropolis, big city, kind of hard to tell, uh, like a, a, a small scale, like uh, intense, uh, isolated horror story in that sort of vein. But I really dug that they kind of, uh, stuck with the idea of, you know, it's, it's still kind of Smallville-esque, um, and we can just play, we can, in the same setting, we can tell a, uh, just turn the story on its head a little bit, and you have the perfect setting to uh, tell, like, a classic kind of horror story. Um, so, I don't know. I actually really, I, I, I liked it. I actually went into this movie thinking that I would not care for it very much. Um, but, I don't know, I, maybe it was just those low expectations. I walked out of it going, like, that was all right. That's pretty good. I didn't mind that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go talk about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sandra? You know, I I was really excited to see this movie. I like the idea. Again, kind of what Megan's saying, this mashup of horror and comic, uh, comic <coughs> book feel. We think of someone like Spider-Man, where the, we, uh, we understand the saying, with great power comes great responsibility. And imagining someone responding to that with, nah, <laughs> like just, <laughs> I'm not going to do pass. it. Hard pass. Yeah, hard pass, right. <laughs> so one, that's fascinating because I think in every, every situation that we face, we have a choice of how we're going to respond to it. We are either going to respond to it from a spirit of kindness, from a spirit of um, altruism and wanting to help people or a spirit of selfishness and anger even, or bitterness, depending on the situation, you know, but, but that's kind of this huge exaggeration of everyday choices that we, we can face. And now you have this kid who has not just his own 
uh, desires, but the power and the strength to really do a lot of damage or do a lot of help. Um, but we, we see this character and we get to see, even though he's not human, we get to see kind of the depth of our depravity, you know, and what we might do had we the power to burn someone's eyeballs just straight through their skull. You know, wh what would we do if we were jilted and somebody turned us down for, from our, you know, our affections toward them? Would we respond in kind? You know, would, would, we, would we be nice or would we be really pissed? And I, I loved the idea of getting to see that and to see how people can respond to someone who has absolute strength. What do you even do in a situation like that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I dug it. <clears throat> yeah, I was super excited when it was coming. I loved mm -hmm. the idea. And I was really hopeful for it because, you know, it was in the hands of James Gunn and his mm -hmm. family and people who respect comics and understand comics and respect horror and understand horror. But also understand the fun of both those. Totally. Right. Yes. totally. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so I was really looking forward to it. And I will say for me, on the comic side... It totally delivered. Like, I feel like mm -hmm. they respected sort of the Superman lore mm -hmm. really, really well in a way that wasn't, I mean, it's going to be obvious. Th 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 there's no way around it. But they did it in a non-obvious way as much as they could. For me, and I'm, I'm not a horror connoisseur like you guys are, but <laughs> for me, the horror side of it is the side that sort of fell short. Um, just because there's lots of things where, you know, scary music starts to play and it's like okay now it's a horror scene you know and right. it's like you could set things up better you know and it just it felt a little formulaic to me in that sense i feel like that's horror <clears throat> like that there's a lot to horror where you know if you watch it often enough you're like oh okay this is coming next you yeah, start yeah, recognizing yeah. the tropes and you're like Completely. and the build-up of tension with the music going upwards yeah. and right. wait for it the music stops right and we think everything's okay and then boom jump scare right. oh false yeah false jump yeah. scare because <laughs> yep. it's just the mom coming in with the basket of laundry oh you scared me yeah you know? but i mean <laughs> there's some points like there's literally one scene where the family's out camping it's mm -hmm. the scene where Brandon goes and sneaks into Caitlin's bedroom, right. you know, but, mm -hmm. um, and it shows Tori lying in the tent and it's, she's just like lying there peacefully and then like no music or anything. And then just mid scene, the music just like, and it starts to get all rumbly and it's like, oh, now it's a scary scene. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like, eh, okay. But I will say, um, I watched it a second time in preparation for this and actually enjoyed it a heck of a lot more the second okay. time. Hmm. I was debating whether or not to rent this movie or mm -hmm. buy it. I like to buy things, so yeah. I just went ahead and bought it. Oh, nice. And I'm like, I hope I don't regret it when <laughs> I watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually felt really good about it. I'm like, okay. Hey, I certainly choice. don't regret you buying it because <laughs> you, <laughs> gave, <laughs> you gave me that digital code, baby. Yeah, <laughs> He's generous with those codes. That's, that was Scott's uh, <laughs> Story Geeks official version that he got to view. Nice. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know how you could have taken that watermark out. It was really distracting. <laughs> well, you know, I wanted it to be a little bit of a challenge for me. <laughs> um, let's talk about what makes this movie scary. So this is our horror movie series, and we're asking this question about everything. What is it at the core that makes this a scary story? So, Sandra, why don't you start us on this one? You know, it's something that we don't ever want to face, and that's complete and utter helplessness. There's nothing that these people can do. The mom, the dad, 
the counselor, the waitress, nobody can do anything against this foe. He has all of the power. They have <coughs> none. And that's so terrifying that you can't reason your way through it. You can't, you know, get a lucky punch in there. There's nothing. And when we think about things that can happen in our lives where we are completely and utterly helpless, maybe somebody is terminally ill and you can do nothing to help. You're just there. And whatever happens will happen. That's terrifying. And that they're put in this place where... It doesn't matter that this is a loving mother and a loving father, you know, from their perspective, loving. That isn't going to change anything. He's going to do what he's going to do. And even as a parent, you know, your kids are going to do what they're going to do. That total autonomy is sometimes very hard for parents to see their kids go out and make horrible choices, hopefully not murdering, but, you know, horrible choices and you can do nothing and he's at that age where he is doing that he's expressing himself i think he turned 12 yeah mm -hmm. and that's the age where kids start really understanding their autonomy and boy does he understand it and he is making these these decisions that the parents are completely hel helpless and they can do nothing to influence him and and to think of one, from a parent's perspective, and two, just from a societal perspective of being utterly helpless and defenseless, that's terrifying. And that can happen politically, that can happen culturally, that can happen on so many different levels that we can all relate to it in some way. And gosh, it's just so anxiety-inducing to be in that place. Yep. Megan, what do you think? Um, <coughs> hmm. Honestly, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the long and short of what I find to be the crux of this terror. Because it's, it's interesting. There are so many horror movies that focus on fear of the unknown or the, the slow unmasking of um, the creature that stalks your nightmares and things like that. And this movie is the exact opposite. Like, it very much wears its horror villain on its sleeve. Um, and it, it relies upon you to really know and have, I mean, everybody knows who Superman is and this movie is relying on you having that cultural knowledge and relying on you knowing that this movie is going to turn it on its head. So I, I find that it is, it's, it is exactly what Sandra was saying. It's terrifying because this kid is like a force of nature. He's like a sentient force of nature. And a tidal wave doesn't care if your house is in the way, <laughs> you know? And the bad thing about this is that not only does this kid have absolute power, but he also is fully aware of his own superiority in relation to the people to literally everyone around him and to the people who raised him. So to him, he like this knowledge gives him this superiority complex and everybody around him is immediately an inferior life form yeah. as a result. And I know teenagers tend to think that anyway, but like, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> but very few of them have laser vision to like back it up. But what I Scott what I did. That's right. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> well, um, I, try, I try to not do it so much these days. I, d I do feel like it is a slight advantage on the rest like, of society. You're ah, like, I shouldn't show off. <sighs> but, but not today. 
<laughs> um, but what I kind of wish the movie had explored a little bit more is horror as a genre also is no stranger to creepy kids. Yeah. And while they very much explore the idea that this is, in fact, a creepy horror movie child, um, something that like kind of didn't sit right with me was that for me, his turn to villainy seemed less about the ethical dilemmas he was in and this obtaining a god complex and more of an external force like not necessarily mind controlling him or something like that but there does seem to be a distinct divide between you know regular brandon and brandon post influence from the ship and whether or not that's just unlocking his true nature um or directly directly manipulating him mm. is something that is never fully explained, which is fine. You know, ambiguity works, especially <coughs> when you're dealing with horror. But to me, I find it more terrifying if all of that anger and um, arrogance comes from him himself as opposed to an external force. So I don't know. You can you can argue it either way, though. Yeah. What do you think, Scott? I don't mean to repeat the exact same thing I was talking <laughs> about before, but I do think a big part of it that makes it scary for me is uh, is the element of isolation. When Brandon kills all of his victims, he does so pretty much like one-on-one, -on -one, usually in remote locations where there's no one else around. That's pretty standard horror fare, uh, but I do like it very much. It is very effective for me. In fact, near the uh, right at the end of the movie where... Uh, he kills uh, his his mom, which is like the last person around uh, who's like, you know, he wants revenge on. Uh, he turns and then there's this big old plane of people. And as soon as like that happens, the movie kind of stops becoming a horror movie for me because then we get clips of him destroying like, m you know, mass destruction throughout the world. And that is less horrifying uh in like a traditional like horror sense and it, it, it is more just like a disaster movie for sure uh, if they were to continue it from that point on and like tell a whole nother story like if there was a sequel or something and that's kind of what it was about it would stop being a horror movie to me it would stop being as scary as like this force that you can't reason with this force that you can't take down and it just picks everyone off one by one and no one's gonna believe you. Like <laughs> the characters, the characters argue with each other about like if it's even possible. Um, and like, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it, because of that, even like that makes you feel like emotionally, mentally isolated from like, who can you even tell? Who can you even go to, to, to prevent the Like the parents, like they know he's from another planet. Who can they tell that would actually <laughs> believe them, yeah. you know? <laughs> So I, I, that, uh, that element of isolation is really effective for me anyway to make it feel really scary. Yeah. I think for me, you know, it, I mean, it obviously has some gross-out deaths in it and stuff like that. At least Good for me, gore, the, yeah. for me yeah, they're gross-out deaths. I don't, yeah. I've not seen nearly as many horror movies as that you guys have. That <laughs> jaw falling <laughs> yeah. off was amazing. That and was the glass great. And the eye. Oh, my God, I, yeah. You're right. I do think that it had some... They weren't bloody, but they were... They were CG bloody. Well, 
They weren't like and the blood, Tarantino like, was bloody, glowing. Like, did you, did it, am I yeah. the only one that seemed to think the blood was glowing for some reason? Uh, it was like yeah, this weird lighting. <laughs> and, and I don't know. Movie blood always. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, I think when you're filming in dark scenarios, you want the blood to really pop. Yeah. You want to pop. Yeah. But I used to like, so, you know, when I first approached this film, it was definitely like, this is the antithesis of Superman. So it's like, what's scary about that for me? What I've realized is that's not the scary stuff. For me, the scary stuff is, is the family stuff. Yeah. You know, it's the idea of having absolutely zero influence in your own child's head mm. and just mm. watching how terrible that can become. So for me, it sort of becomes not so much the antithesis of Superman, but the antithesis of A Quiet Place. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is you guys know is, you. is my absolute favorite movie. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, just today they announced that the sequel has finished filming. Ooh. But uh, um, so th- it sort of becomes that. Like you have the picture of a perfect father who does succeed in protecting his children. And then in this one, you have a father who absolutely can do nothing mm-hmm. to protect his child. Yeah. And it's sort of a cautionary tale between who's going to be your dad? Is it going to be Jim or is it going <laughs> to be Roy? You know? <laughs> and so clearly you want Jim to be your dad. There's a clear oh, answer. Wow. There. Was wow. Jim the character's name in A Quiet Place? Because no. I know we just Office? know his. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, in A Quiet Place, his name was Lee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, anyway, just a little observation there. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It is funny, though. Um, uh, Megan, we'll start with you on this because you sort of started it. Was it you? My mind is going nuts <laughs> here. Um, I'm going to start with you anyway because I think you were the one that started to go into this. If it was somebody else, I apologize. <laughs> um, but why do we think Brandon is the way he is? Is it a product of his environment or is it the people around him or is it simply his true nature as an extraterrestrial being? What do you think? Um, I mean, the implication that the movie gives is that this is clearly the mission of this extraterrestrial species. Like there, there's that whole classroom scene about um, wasps. Yeah, yeah. Of wasps who go mm. in and invade other nests and allow them to raise their young a little on the nose but hey it gets the point across <laughs> um and so that's what it is it's 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 very much setting up that this, that's exactly what's happening the the kryptonians or the krypton equivalent in this world they're clearly not good they're invaders yeah, yeah. <laughs> with destruction on their mind um but whether or not it's his true nature or just an element of the invasion and he's just a drone in all this it's sort of left ambiguous i i definitely walk out of the movie questioning how much of it is his actions versus how much of it is the influence from uh the mothership so to speak but like that so you think there's maybe some version of control going on there yeah because, like, he doesn't start acting, like, obviously he's got hormones and everything like that, but he doesn't start acting weird until the ship activates. And so whether the ship was just concealing a certain part of his mind that then unlocked when he came of age, um, I mean, that's one possibility, you know, like sleep, like a sort of like a sleeper cell. Yeah. Um, or if it's mm. just, I think the more interesting thing is that is that they treat it like a sleeper cell as opposed and that like all of this is just his tr- 
No, I take that back because I don't find that as <laughs> I, I like that in other stories. I like that in other stories, so I liked it in theory here. But to really embrace the true horror of this, I would have liked it a lot more if everything came from him. Mm-hmm. And that that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be like there's definitely a degree of influence from uh, his home planet or whatever. So that's to me where my problem is. Is like, oh, well, if we were going to go like the mind control route, like there are scarier ways of conveying that. But like, it's almost like the movie can't make up its mind on what his motivations are. If it's teenage angst or if it's, or if it's aliens. (laughs) Yeah. Scott, what do you think? Yeah. This one, I had a really tricky time deciphering because I, I do think the movie is unclear about what it wants to say. And I, I want to believe that that's almost on purpose because it is a complicated idea of just like, you know, it just boils down to, yeah, is it in his true nature to be that way? Is it something about the environment that he grew up in? Is it a little bit of both? I personally would not be okay if the message of the movie was that it was 100% just like either, oh, that's just... Uh, how that species is, or, um, you know, uh, you know, hormonal young boys, that's what they do. (laughs) Because that, that to me, almost sends the message of, um, like, in a roundabout way, maybe not as roundabout as I think it is, it kind of sends the message, if that's what it's trying to say, that, like, when young men become violent... Hey, man, boys will be boys. And I don't like that message. I don't like that message at all. I, I do think that there's a powerful scene where the, where the, parents, where, where the parents reveal to him um, that his, his yes. true nature and his true identity. And instead of, like, you know, being in awe and being like, whoa, that's neat, like kind of like what Superman might do, he immediately feels betrayed. And uh, yeah, I thought that was, yeah, yeah, you lied to me. It was so powerful. And I feel like that at the very least has something to do with it. Cause I feel like as much as the parents tried to like, you know, quote unquote protect him or like keep that, you know, um, hidden away. Uh, I feel like there is that little bit of betrayal and that might be a, a part of what starts unraveling that thread. I just don't really like the message that there's just nothing you can do about it. That like, <laughs> I don't know. But again, that does play into the, the the scariness of it. So I don't know. I'm torn as well. There's a lot that I could dissect here. And I don't even know if I'm doing a great job explaining my feelings. Well, but that's I, kind of where they're at. While we were talking, I, something else occurred to me. There's a classic episode of The Twilight Zone. Kind of in to a similar... man. No, 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 no. Um, uh, A good life. Like, it's a good life or something Mm. like that. Um, And it got parodied on The Simpsons. It's been parodied uh, to to here and back. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It takes place in this small town uh, in a very rural area, Mm -hmm. very similar to Brightburn. But there is a child who has the ability to bend reality to his will. And... So as a re- and if somebody displeases this child, he can make them disappear. Send them he to can the make bad them place. <laughs> he can make them turn into a jack in the box. Yep. Like, That's from the Whoa. movie, isn't it? 
it is in the movie. It was yeah. one of the ones that was adapted in the movie, but it mm -hmm. was in the original series mm -hmm. as well. And so what we he have here in Brightburn is kind of a variation of that in that where we have like this all powerful <laughs> child and the town around him has to bend to his will. Mm. I wish the movie had explored more of that, but he spends <laughs> yeah. so much of the movie trying to keep his all powerful God status on the DL <laughs> that like, oh man, we could have had a lot of fun with everybody having to be like, it's a good thing. It's fine. Yeah. This is fine. Yeah. He's a good boy. I, yeah. I think they do explore that. There are there are a handful of moments, especially from the mom, mm -hmm. that is, it's not on blast, but I, it doesn't have to be. Um, so there are so many moments with the mom all throughout the movie. You'll always be my my baby boy. Or you'll always be my special little boy, and she's completely blind to whatever bad thing he's doing, crushing a girl's hand. He said he's sorry. Like, what? That is not okay. <laughs> My kid will be in a heap of trouble and saying sorry is not enough. Um, so I think I think that it is showing that both nurture and nature are playing a role here. So what we see with, with Brandon, we know that he's getting picked on. We know that the mom is defending him to no end. Even at the like to damage her relationship with her husband by letting him get the gun and like not really scolding him when he snaps at the dad right there she's choosing to not take care of her child and not nurture him in a way that is healthy she is has engaged in a, a sort of smothering that mm -hmm. is completely um blind and a completely enabling to whatever he's going to do. So we have that component. We yeah. have the fact that he's getting teased. We have the fact that he's starting to discover in his anger, like, oh my gosh, I threw this lawnmower. I'm strong. And mom's mm -hmm. always going to defend me. Mm -hmm. And this girl that I like <laughs> turned mm -hmm. me down. Mm -hmm. And the, the gym teacher says, help him up or you fail the class. So there are so many things around him that are saying, we're gonna have your back no matter what. You're and, not in the wrong. Yes. You're not in the wrong. And and so it is both nurture and nature because the nature of him, he is an alien. He's hearing these messages from the ship. And at the same time, he's getting essentially the same message. You can do whatever you want. You're and, special. And you're special. Yeah. You are not going to have any consequences for the behavior or your actions. Yeah. And those two together make him terrifying. And we see, not to the same degree, but we see examples of this in toxic masculinity. Ah. Where a, a yes. guy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. This is uh, what I'm know, talking about. Right? Yes. Woo, you know, you have, you have men who are jilted, who nobody wants to have sex with them they shoot up a college campus and that has happened and and it's the rejection in in response to the rejection which i don't know how their moms are but somebody allowed a way of thinking or maybe just didn't catch it yeah didn't catch it in time but mm -hmm. but this is kind of a terrifying 
example of that to you know a higher degree but but that's what what I was getting from it is it really is both nurture and nature we can't point to one or the other because we know scientifically speaking you can have someone who has a tendency toward bad behavior but they are nurtured away from that but that doesn't change the fact that that is within them their brain chemistry um, you know whatever is going on in their lives together somehow it it clicks or it doesn't click yeah um, so it's both I think it's both yeah it, can I just point out isn't it weird <laughs> that for a kid who is getting bullied we never see him go after the bullies once he becomes all powerful That's like true. I, I, I think well, the yeah. idea behind that is that he just goes like oh they're ants like yeah. who cares mm-hmm. like he, he stops caring because he doesn't, every, yeah, he doesn't want anything from them everyone's beneath him at that point uh-huh. but given horror movie rules I was like those bullies are gonna get killed yeah, at right. some point and it never happened and so I was like <laughs> I would have liked at least one line of like oh they don't matter anymore yeah. or something mm-hmm. that's why I think it actually despite how it appears in the movie and we'll talk about the ship more later I've got another question about that but I actually lean very heavily towards nurture mm. on this one mm-hmm. and I think I think like you, you guys said before the movie doesn't do a great job of taking a stand mm-hmm. um, so maybe the story could definitely be told better but that's a great point. He doesn't go after the bullies. The only people he goes after are the people who hit him personally, mm-hmm. you know? And it's always an immediate reaction, too. Like, he never, like, sets out to go find somebody and kill them. He kills them when they hurt him some way. Mm-hmm. Every single person. And one little line in it that it comes on very, very early, and you kind of forget about it, but I think it's really important, is when he's in class... And um, he gets made fun of for his answer about the bees. And then Caitlin, the girl who he eventually breaks the hand and, you know, kills her mom and all that stuff. (laughs) She turns around and smiles at him. And she says to him, don't worry, smart guys end up ruling the planet. Right. Mm -hmm. And it totally, Mm -hmm. like, comforts him. Right. Mm -hmm. And... It's a nice, cute little scene at the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's also frightening because <laughs> right. she yeah. said, she said ruling. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that was written very specifically. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think that might be where the beginning of his superiority begins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of like, I'm smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could rule the planet. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, he doesn't go after any bad guys. He just goes after the people that hurt him personally. Mm-hmm. So I really think nurture is the stronger one here, mm-hmm. but again... The movie's not perfect, so we just don't know for sure. <laughs> um, Will forever be a mystery. Yes. <laughs> and that's the so. scariest thing of all. Ah. <laughs> and I do want to talk about the ship more and what it's saying to him. But first, let's go back to the Superman thing. Because um, there's a ton of obvious similarities here. You know, it's Brightburn, Smallville, Brandon Breyer. God's among us. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon Bri- Breyer, Clark Kent, Tori and Kyle Breyer, Ma and Pa Kent. Caitlin could even be a version of Lana Lang and his powers are even just pretty much identical Mm -hmm. to Superman's. So Scott, you're our resident comic book expert. We're going to start off with you on this one. Um, And I know there's some obvious answers to this, but I think there are some that may not be so obvious too. What are the differences? Why is Clark Kent a hero and Brandon Breyer is a villain or a monster? Well, so there's this, 
it's I think it's pretty subtle throughout the movie, but um, Brandon kills a bunch of people, so. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good Like feeling. I said, there are some obvious answers. <laughs> so the, the murders. The murders. The, yeah. the murders, the crime, all of that. That's who would do it. No, I think um I think I think it absolutely I mean it, it, it's it's about um it, it, I think it is just kind of this subtle way this slightly different way that uh, like I guess the way that they're raised, the way that they kind of take the news that they're that they're an alien. Because for Brandon, he he gets this idea in his head that he knows he's immediately knows he's superior. So he's instead of using that power for good, he's like, man, I'm better than everyone here. I don't have to answer to anybody. And and that was so in, in like you know in, ingrained in him that like he doesn't. He's this perfect little child. He could never do anything wrong. And so I think it's that it's so it's so small, but I think that is like the giant difference between the two is just Clark Kent it has humility, and I think Brandon Pryor simply does not. And when you give them the same when you give them the same power set, uh, you can see just how different two people will act when one is has this high and mighty, I'm superior to everyone versus I'm a humble farm boy from Smallville. And I, it's just, <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's exactly that simple. Uh, I think for, for at least, <laughs> at least that's what I got out of it. Yeah. Sandra, what do you think? You know, empathy. Mm. Brandon has none. Megan's <laughs> throwing her arms up in the air. I he think she is, likes yes, the answer. Yes. Completely <laughs> indifferent as he's facing all of his victims, completely unremorseful. Mm -hmm. There's no even passion in it. He just kind of squashes them like a bug. Yeah. Um, with no, um, you don't see the anger. You don't see the, uh, you don't see anything from him, except I just feel like killing this mom, this friend, this uncle of mine, and I'll have zero remorse. I won't even, I won't even try to fake it. Like when he gets told by the parents that his uncle died, he's like, okay. And kind of reminds mm. me of the Pete Davidson character on like SNL. <laughs> Chad. Yeah. yeah, where he's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. Like no matter what you say, he's like, okay. Oh, and, work? oh my gosh. <laughs> Such a teenage <laughs> response. Like, oh, we won the lottery. Okay. Like, <laughs> ah. um, but yeah, there's a complete lack of empathy, which means his powers, he's not even going to think about helping anybody because he doesn't care about people. He just wants everything to be toward him. Affections toward me, attention toward me, defense toward me. There's no empathy whatsoever. So he doesn't have the ability to even tap into like, oh, I can actually like stop this train from from falling off its tracks. I can do that. I, there's no even, I think, ability for him, for his mind to go there because mm -hmm. he just doesn't, I mean, he doesn't do, have that empathy. Do we jump into action when we see like rocks shifting and crushing a bunch of insects? So yeah, that's his <laughs> mentality. That's mm -hmm. his mentality, 100%. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, for me, it was empathy for sure. Was my answer. Sandra stole I my stole answer. Stole it. <laughs> fight, um, fight, fight, fight. Mind thief over Such here. Such a Brandon Breyer thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Jake, the there's notes. Uh, like uh, if you come down to it, it is that sense of humility and lack of empathy. Those are the things that make Brandon a villain. However, I think there's a little bit more when we look in comparing his origin story and his circumstances to that of Superman's. Superman, part of the reason why he's so willing to be generous with the gifts that he's been given is that Earth is his home. He doesn't, Krypton is gone. He doesn't have a planet to go back to. Like everything he's ever known and loved is on this planet and he would be a good so for one there's there's no nebulous ship that can maybe control his brain and brain <laughs> chemistry and stuff like that so that's not even a thing that exists um it's <laughs> out of the question um but also like i get the sense that he would be a good person <clears throat> even if he didn't have superpowers like he would always be the type of person to do whatever he could in any circumstance to be yeah. helpful yeah even without his abilities um but the another thing too that i find very interesting is superman and correct me if i'm wrong i think they they reference this in kill bill a little bit but like i think I think that interpretation, Tarantino's interpretation is a tad bit off, but Superman what? doesn't, <laughs> Superman doesn't wear a mask. Yeah. Brandon mm -hmm. does. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Brandon knows that like, yeah, he's, he's got this God complex or whatever, but he feels the need to conceal his face for some reason. Mm -hmm. Do you There's think that's what it is, or do you think he's yeah. just trying to be scary? Because I think he's I don't get the sense scary. that he's too worried about people knowing who right. he is. Right? <laughs> he, he doesn't. He doesn't care. And I think another distinction between Brandon and Superman is Bre um, Superman was given a grace in that they knew his parents knew that they were going to die, but they wanted him to be saved, and and he was yeah. rescued. We don't know what happened and why Brandon's there. But he certainly doesn't have that awareness, and no one's going to tell him what what happened. At least not yet. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't have that sense of of gratitude for somebody somebody having saved him. Yeah. No. He he does view it as that betrayal right. of like, oh, you lied to me. Cool guys. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, no. I, I think the mask observation is like really spot on because like that's that's something that has bothered me a lot when people always say like I can't believe people don't recognize Superman as, as Clark Kent but Superman doesn't wear a mask no one's looking for a secret identity of Superman of yeah. course they wouldn't see Clark Kent like no yeah. he has nothing to hide and, as that, Superman. and that's what makes him trustworthy he wants people to trust him he doesn't wear a mask he says look at me look at all that I'm this is me I'm wearing a skin tight outfit so you, I'm leaving nothing to the imagination <laughs> this is me and and I, I think Brandon absolutely is is the opposite because I think he is at least hiding a little bit. He does lie to his parents a lot about his whereabouts and like what he was doing. If he was not trying to hide anything, he would just be like, "Yeah, I killed Noah. What? I mean, I'm, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> what's for, what's yeah. for dinner? Yeah. Exactly." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know where I heard this from or where I've read it, and I may have talked about this on the show before, but there is, this is off track, but there is an explanation in some comic somewhere for Superman's secret identity being mm-hmm. concealed. And I don't, I don't remember where I read it, but it was something to the effect of when he is Clark and he's wearing the glasses and everything, mm-hmm. he is actually vibrating his face at some degree of super speed so that it actually makes it look slightly different look, to I kind of hate that. That's know, right? Look, you don't need an explanation like that. That would tickle. Like, I feel like that would tickle. I'm just, I just read that somewhere, and it's stuck with me ever since. I don't like, know that's who came up with the contour. way to explain like, that, you know? He just contoured his makeup. That's all it was. Yeah. That's one of his no. superpowers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I get it. I get the, the whole like, oh, how does nobody get it? How, do, how does nobody see that he's clearly Superman? I get it. It's the characterization of like this. It's the way mm-hmm. he presents himself as Clark Kent yes. that is the disguise. I'm tired of this argument. Yeah. Yes. I think <laughs> if you want to take that further, you can do that with pretty much anybody. Like, that's clearly Christian Bale's chin under the bat mask you know it's like (laughs) you know that's christian bale like it's part of the world we exist in it's fine (laughs) let it go everyone (laughs) there's suspension of disbelief yeah Mm -hmm. we're dealing with superpowers Mm -hmm. why are you getting hung up on this (laughs) um back to brandon though uh as far as uh the differences i think because i mean scott you said it obviously there's major obvious differences the killing and the evilness (laughs) it's very subtle the blood and the gore he's short (laughs) but i think (laughs) you know what he wanted a gun i don't think superman like goes hunting for fun yeah i don't don't know maybe he does but uh, it doesn't seem like it's what does he do in his leisure time i I don't know i think and this is again why i think it's more nurtured than nature as far as how he is but i think it comes down to his parents Mm -hmm. in a couple different ways one in most interpretations of Superman's uh, origin, there is some presence of Jor-El either in the ship taking him to Earth or something speaking into him at a very fundamental point yeah. in his development. You know, whether it's a Marlon Brando voiceover or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would love to see a Christopher Reeve-style movie where instead of Marlon Brando... Brando! <laughs> yeah. Marlon Brando telling him about his destiny and needing to do good if he was just like, hey, so... Long story short, you're going to take over the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, they so should have had funny. Brando do the voice of the ship. That like, would have been amazing. World. <laughs> <laughs> is that what the Donner cut is? I yeah. Know yeah. <laughs> um, but and then there's also his actual Earth parents. You know, like Ma and Pa Kent are wonderful parents by any stretch of the imagination. Like, no matter what version of Superman you're reading, they go to no end to help him understand who he is and how he should relate to the world and really help him grow up and deal with what he is. Whereas Tori and Kyle Breyer are hiding from it. You know, they, they shut the ship away in the basement and do everything they can to avoid telling him about it. And they fear the day when he finds out about it. And it's just a very different perspective. So mm-hmm. I feel like that has a lot to do with it too. Yeah. Yeah, uh, kind of a kind of a huge bombshell to just drop on a kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, let's go back to the ship because I promised we were going to do that. The voice from the ship tells Brandon take the world, or at least we see that that's you got to say it like Marlon Brando. <laughs> I tried to earlier, and 
<laughs> I, I suck at impressions. If Jay was here, I'm sure he could crank out a good one. But, um, so, I mean, obviously that sounds ominous, and it certainly sounds like the ship is telling him to go kill everybody. But I'm just curious if he has so much impact from people around him and there's so much nurture stuff happening to him could there be another interpretation of take the world uh, could that mean something else hmm i can already tell that megan doesn't think so seems pretty unambiguous <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. i mean the way the way that he's saying it too <clears throat> isn't like take the world out out for a nice dinner (laughs) (laughs) have it home by 11 (laughs) i mean that's why i brought up to serve man earlier because that (laughs) is something that is open to interpretation the first inclination i think most people (laughs) who aren't nefarious will jump to is oh you're going to serve humanity and then it's like no it's a cookbook and it's like, oh, oh, that's an uh, entirely different meaning versus take the world. Like, what are you going to do? If that's a complete sentence, then what are you going to do besides well, that's actually kind of my question. rule like, it? And th- there were a lot of noises coming out of that thing. Right. Like, how do we and know so for sure that that maybe is Did the, the front of the, the message get <laughs> cut yeah. off where it's like, don't take yeah. the world? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you do. <laughs> I mean, it could, it could be if you really want to spin it, take the world and if your intentions are good then you would take the world and you would really try to repair it restore it resolve issues like be a great leader but i don't think that's what it sounds like just the way that unless the language is just one of those really ugly languages (laughs) sounds sounds angry uh but Um, i I do want to spin it because that's what i like to do it's, (laughs) it's interesting because we know nothing about the alien society that Brandon comes from. Like their actions definitely aren't justified, but in their minds, they may be propagating their own species and subjugating planets is good because they inherently view their way of life as superior. Like it's like Western colonialism, but in space. Um, and yeah. all of the evils that that entailed. Like nobody mm-hmm. in England, while they were doing the British Empire, were like, maybe what we're doing is wrong. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I could definitely see that that it as a society would be like, well, it's good that we're going out and and doing this, and the planet will be grateful that to be a part of our great British space empire. <laughs> It'll be better for everyone. Mm-hmm. So. I it's still evil though <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's just a warped way of looking at it but mm-hmm. I I see yeah the only way I can see it is if it's like what Sandra said where it's like here take you know you've got the whole world in your hands like be, do <laughs> do good with it like but mm-hmm. it that does not seem to be the intent of the message in any capacity mm-hmm. I remember thinking one thing was what if there's one word missing <laughs> and the word that's missing is back take the world oh snap (laughs) that would be well i think that's what we're going to be diving into in the aftercast that's true yeah that will that's a little aftercasty but even if let's talk i i didn't like this movie but i'd be down for some fanfic (laughs) then you'll like you'll like where we're going with the aftercast yeah awesome (laughs) um but one more thing on this one before we move on even if there is no other interpretation 
for that, which I think the movie would seem to indicate that there is not. Um, what's the end game? Because he's not taking anything. He's just killing everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, what well, do you think, I, Scott? I think... I, I think Take is such a selfish word, right? It, when you take, <laughs> well, when you when you when you take something, you're saying this is mine. And so I think when 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 it says take the world, I think I think it's just the end goal is for him to just grow and like like what I mean by grow is like in a literal sense. Like if this species dropped him off on this planet to say like, hey, we don't want to raise our you know, our own offspring, we put them on other worlds so that they can grow. I think what they're really just saying is, you know, when you, when they say take the world is, hey, the world's yours now, do with it what you want, um, and just grow and thrive and hopefully keep spreading our alien race around. I think it's just, I think the end goal is just what any biological end goal is, which is just survive. So take the world, it's yours, do whatever you want with it, thrive. Have fun, buddy. <laughs> Have a good time, sport. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I figured it out. He's he's mistranslating one word. He's mm. mistranslating world. And the message mm. is not for him. It's for everybody else on the earth. Mm. And I think he's the word world should be correctly translated as brat. And it's his planet <laughs> saying, take <laughs> the brat. <laughs> we don't want we don't him. Want him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not our problem. Yeah. <laughs> you deal with him. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. I think this next one is probably my darkest question, so settle in for that. Yes. Um, both of Brandon's parents have very dark journeys in this film. Um, Sandra, like you said, Tori just incessantly denies that anything is wrong with him, and she's always going to be her baby boy, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong. We just need to protect him. Mm-hmm. And then Kyle is more on the line. You know, he says he's not our son. He's a thing we found in the woods. And he ends up going so far as being willing to, not just willing, he does. He shoots his son in mm-hmm. the back of the head. Um, Dummy. Which, <laughs> <laughs> which for me, mm-hmm. like, yeah, watching that dude get his jaw chopped off by the truck was mm-hmm. disgusting. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the glass in the eye was disgusting. The absolute most disturbing part of this movie for me is watching a man raise a rifle to his son. Right. Mm. I was like, ugh. It doesn't matter if he shoots or not. Like, just seeing that alone, I'm already scared. Think of the rabbits, Brandon. Think of the rabbits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, and this is a dark question, but I'm just curious, which one of them is more messed up? Yeah. And go for it. You look like you're ready to go. Oh, gosh. Uh, I would say the mom, for sure. Um, Even though she thinks that she's loving her son, She really only loves the idea of him. They so desperately wanted a child, and they finally got it in this alien child crashing onto their property, and that is what she has longed for. He doesn't end up living (coughs) up to the dream of what she wanted, which was her baby boy forever and always frozen in time, because nobody can do that. Even if he had those superpowers and he were to be a good person, he's still not going to be her baby boy. So she was already setting him up for disappointing her. Uh, And you see then when he keeps doing things that are like red flags, red flags, (laughs) red flags, like just straight up blood flags, you know, she doesn't, (laughs) she doesn't see it. She refuses to see it at the detriment of her marriage, 
her relationship with her sister and her standing with people in in their little town it doesn't matter what matters is the idea of her son so i think she is by far the the darkest person in there even when she knows he can kill people at with a, a laser stare yeah she still calls the cops they're gonna die and they do <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't matter she just loves the idea of him and he and she still tries she kind of has a redeeming moment when she attempts to harm him but it's way too late for that yeah. the father at the very least he's willing to sacrifice something that he loves which is his son for other people's safety and yes he gets angry and he has these moments of like you think oh gosh like wouldn't you want to believe the best about your child he immediately jumps to like the worst version of this kid so he has his moments where he's he's failing um in how he is seeing his son and the evidence that's in front of him yeah. he's jumping to conclusions but they're right conclusions and he's willing to make that choice it's like a sophie's choice but it's not two children it's your child and the betterment of society. It is like a dilemma that they have in philosophy classes and ethics classes. What do you choose? The person <laughs> you love surviving or all these other people mm -hmm, like yeah. on the train tracks surviving? Yeah, it's the trolley problem. Only right. one, the, the one person on the one track is impervious to the trolley. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh. No, that's funny. No, that's, that's exactly what it is because you have the dad who's willing to to pull that lever to change the tracks right. and to try and hit you know try to kill his son whereas the mom's like let's just not do anything and hope for the best right. and uh yeah it doesn't go over so well no yeah um i kind of have to concur with sandra um which is a weird thing to say to somebody who yeah literally raises a gun to the kid that they raised mm -hmm. but there's this acknowledgement from the dad where he can see that his son is clearly responsible for the things that have been happening. Um, and he, you know, he might be jumping to conclusions, but there's substantial proof. It's pretty clear. And he also knows that his son is capable of doing things that regular humans can't do. And so he knows that going to the authorities and going through the proper channels that they're already kind of in the process of going through with his disciplinary issues isn't going to be the right thing either. Therapy's clearly not working because the only <laughs> licensed therapist that's around is clearly not doing her job either. Mm -hmm. um, so like, like, and if he were to bring uh, the authorities in on this and basically point and say, yes, my son did commit those crimes, the police are just going to get killed. Um, and so he, he fully recognizes that. And so his he's willing to do an awful thing to try to prevent greater loss of life and you can see it does break his heart to make that decision mm -hmm. i think that both of them should have tried a little harder to reason with him mm -hmm. and to raise him better mm -hmm. before attempting the murder but um but that's just me, and I'm not a parent, so what do I know? Um, <laughs> but the, uh, the yeah, I, I would have to agree. He made neither of them are doing the right thing in this scenario because this is a world where the Justice League doesn't exist. They can't. 
honestly, I don't know what the right thing would have been other than maybe trying to kill him with the ship, like a piece of the ship while he was sleeping. But mm-hmm. I also feel like that attempt would go very, very poorly for mm-hmm. you. What with the super hearing and such. So I feel like they were in a no win scenario and both strategies are flawed. But I think he had better intentions in terms of acknowledging the problem as opposed to just hoping it'll go away because yeah. evil triumphs when good men do nothing. Oh. Well, and, and that's exactly what the parents did. They, they kept this secret and it bit them in the ass in the end. And they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have kept the secret from him. I think that would have helped him understand who he was and, and be be in that reality when he wasn't also facing puberty and and it's kind of a a good example of what happens when we try to keep things secret that they come out in in far worse ways yeah scott you have any other take on that um no i think i think i think everyone pretty much uh nailed it dead on i will say it it did strike me as kind of um a rushed plan that the dad had. Yeah. The dad, this was not, this dad, was not good. This dad, is not good. He definitely knew, like, he even was the one to say it. Like, Brandon had never been cut or bruised or anything yeah. through his whole life. And he was like, I bet a gun will do it, though. Yeah. That's the Granted, one. I, he did not see what happened to the lawnmower. So, in his defense, he didn't have mm-hmm. that information that the audience has. But, like... It's still a dummy move. He, yeah. he, at the very least, suspected it to the point of verbalizing it to the mom. So, like, I think I think he probably, if he had, like, thought about it for another, like, day or two, he probably would have, like, come up with a little bit of a better plan. But Maybe poison? <laughs> Maybe poison. Yeah, yeah. you know what? <laughs> Does Superman have a super metabolism? Probably. <sighs> Maybe Problem. a bomb in an uncomfortable place? Mm. <laughs> we've seen the boys. Mm. No. <laughs> but I kind of get what you're saying, which reinforces my decision not to see it. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think that this whole dynamic here is actually one, one credit to this movie's storytelling because this all takes place over a very short period of time. Yeah. And you sort of get the sense that there haven't been big red flags with Brandon before. Like this all sort of mm-hmm. came out of nowhere. It escalated very quickly and everybody died. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of the right way to tell this story because the longer this goes and the more time that the parents have to actually think about things and process things, the dumber they look (laughs) for not doing anything about Mm. it. The more they deserve it. (laughs) It's true. Um, Do you think Brandon was always going to kill Tori or do you think that he was actually being honest at the end when he said that he wanted to do good and then he killed her because he felt betrayed that she was uh, trying to kill him. Scott, why don't you jump in on that one? I think I think it probably didn't cross his mind to do so because I, I think it goes back to exactly what you were saying, where he felt uh, he would he would attack those who hurt him uh, first and like immediately. Like he didn't turn on his dad until the dad tried to shoot him, and then it was instant, you know, retaliation. And I think. The moment where he turned on um, his 
his mom was when he answered the phone or yeah when he answered the phone and she was like saying like you know it, it's it was brandon he did it he he killed all those people and he could kind of sense that she was probably thinking of of like doing something to stop him or uh, trying to finally give consequences for his actions. And I think that was the moment where he was like, no, I don't like that. I don't like consequences. Well, yeah. gotta take out this person. Well, that's just how it goes. I don't think he was being particularly honest when he said that he, m maybe there was like a spark where he was like, I wanna do good, but I don't even think he knows what good is. Mm -hmm. I think his yeah. version of good is more so just, I want to just do things and have people respect that I'm doing things and stop getting in my way. That's what I want good to be. <laughs> That's good to me. I yeah. want to do that good. But I don't think I don't think he meant good in like the grand sense of like I want to do right by the world. I think he's like I just want to do what I want to do, and people keep getting in my way, and that's mm. that's a bummer, man. So I have to kill them. I'm yeah. good. It's not my fault. Everyone around me is trying to get in my way. <laughs> that's exactly. I that's possibly be bad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm me. <laughs> I'm the protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> it's true that we're all the hero of our. Own our own story. That's right. Um, see, this is where I, I, I come to this moment and this is where I, I do kind of fall back on where like, I'm like, I'm not sure what the movie's trying to say in terms of like what's causing his malicious behavior. Um, because throughout everything, one of the main things he seems to be concerned with is keeping the status quo at home because at, at the very least even though he has like these little spats with his dad at the very least he likes his mom you know he still views humanity as insects but these were the insects that raised him mm -hmm. and so like he does have a soft spot for them clearly and i think one of the reasons why he does don the mask and why he does enact the the acts of violence against the people that he does is because one he is selfish and two oddly enough he wants things to stay the same he likes this status quo and granted he he has grander plans but all he's ever known is you know i have a family you know i go to school and that's normal and these are things that are disrupting my normal. Having to go to a counselor's meeting and pretend to be sorry is disrupting my normal. Mm -hmm. having, to, uh, having to deal with these weird disciplinary issues. Why are cops angry at me? I'm not doing like like this. This mm -hmm. is disrupting my sense of normalcy. Yeah, this um, girl in my class liked me the other day, and now she doesn't like me. That's <laughs> now she doesn't like me anymore. Mm -hmm. What's the deal? <laughs> yeah. Um. So it's weird because he he's developed this sense of entitlement and feels like he doesn't have to sacrifice anything in relationship to it. And but like. And yeah, he just, it's that lack of empathy. He's like, this is the way the world works. I, I do this, this is my routine. And so when he keeps getting confronted with these things that disrupt his sense of normalcy, he's like, oh, I have to put a stop to that. And like when Noah catches him in his aunt and uncle's house, um, the thing he says is, 
you're not going to tell my parents, are you? If his uncle had said, yeah, we'll just keep this between us, like, he probably would have just gone home and been like, cool, thanks, Uncle Noah, way to be a bro. You can uh, keep your job. <laughs> you get to keep live tonight. <laughs> you get to stay alive. Good job. Um, but it's, it's, it's feel, it, you know, it is that kind of, very childish mentality of don't tell my parents that's going to be inconvenient for me. Mm -hmm. It's not like they can't do anything to him, but it's going to be inconvenient. Mm -hmm. And he wants things in a weird childish way to stay the same. So I don't know. It's interesting. I don't think he loves his mom. I don't think he loves her at all. He just knows she's the one person he can go to and have zero consequences. The minute he mm -hmm. has a consequence, she's dead. So it's not yep. love. There's no heartbreak like, oh, mom, I trusted you and, and loved you and you were going to cut me and now I'm so crushed and oh, I guess I have to it's kill you. Like there was no struggle for him. So I don't think it's love at all. Um, I think that he was, the minute his mom gave him a consequence, he was going to kill her. Yeah, and that's, that's it. That's Definitely. the thing. At, at this moment, like, she could have just been like, okay, you know, if she had just been like, it's going to be okay, we'll figure out a way to, like, sweep all this under the rug, he would have allowed her to live in that moment. Mm -hmm. But then she would have spent the rest of her life just acquiescing to his right. every whim. Yep. She would be a prisoner. And, and that's a scarier movie because then you have someone who has enabled atrocious acts and honestly that level of apathy is more terrifying and allows more horrific things to happen than the person who's able to do these acts think of how we are as a society and the people who are apathetic to like nazi germany and like well i'm okay so hmm. i guess like you do you and i'll do me and we're okay those are the people who allowed it to happen, uh, you know, because Hitler could only do so much. But I mean, this is this is what apathy does. It, it lets mm -hmm. hatred and violent acts just continue to grow and grow and grow. So I think for Brandon, he absolutely was always going to kill whoever gave him a consequence. And we saw that play out. Whoever gave him a consequence was dead. It just took his mom so much longer to get there. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's clearly a villain. Yeah. He's a little mm -hmm. monster. He's a little jerk. <laughs> a little um, jerk. <laughs> that, that, uh, that Brandon, what a jerk. The, the most mildly <laughs> yeah. possibly the way, could. Well, the way he is with the plane, he's just like, I'm not going to move. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't move. And well, all those people Well, there's die. more to the plane because he, he used the plane as a cover-up. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, like, I think he's realizing in that moment. And to me, that's the first time when they show him strategizing. Right. You know? And I'm like, okay, now what else could come out of this? But then mm -hmm. the movie's over. It's, yeah. it's one of the least reactionary things he yeah, does. Yeah, totally. Um, it, it, again, interesting, though, because he he is still concerned with keeping things on a lower profile. Exactly. Where yeah. it's like, yeah. Um, but clearly a villain, which brings me to my last question. Is there a hero in this movie? And if there is, who is it? Michael Scott, Rooker. It's Michael <laughs> Rooker. <laughs> He's the we'll hero. Get, we'll get to that in the aftermath. 
shedding light on all the truth out there. No. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, 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 I definitely, for the for, for the longest time, really thought that stories needed clear heroes and, and villains. But uh, I've been watching a lot of movies recently where there just aren't any villains. Like, the villain could be just you know, pressure from society or the villain could be a great example. I know everyone's been dying to talk about it because uh, it is a movie that fits so well with Brightburn in every capacity. It's on everyone's mind right now. Kiki's, Kiki's Delivery Service. <laughs> so, I, oh my gosh! I love Kiki's Delivery Service. I just watched it for the first time uh, a couple weeks ago. No what? way! <clears throat> yes. Oh, Even it's so good. I've seen it. It's yes. so good. Um, I don't even know what that is. I honestly thought you were going to say Joker. No. <laughs> <laughs> but... <clears throat> Well, something that I found really interesting about that movie and very, <clears throat> very, um, uh, something that made it very powerful to me was the fact that there just isn't a villain in that movie at all. It's just this pressure that this young girl feels from trying to do her job as best that she can and it's self-implemented pressure. Everyone around her is super supportive and very lovely and she's still very sad and depressed and doesn't take care of herself and doesn't uh, make time to hang out with friends and, and do all these social things. And, and it, there's no villain. It's just pressure that she puts on herself. And so when you have these movies that are amazing that don't have any villains in them other than just, you know, some sort of pressure from within or without or whatever, but there's no, like, person, there's no embodiment of, of an antagonist, then I feel like you can have movies where there really aren't heroes either, but there are villains. And I kind of don't, I, I could not really, without, like, really stretching it thin for me, I couldn't really find a person who was... Uh, a hero in this movie. It felt like it was just people who m maybe you could say the dad for trying to trying to end it, but not doing a particularly good job. Um, but that's that's about all I got. I feel like this movie is just it's just a villain story, and it's just it, it's it's like it's a world where a villain doesn't have a hero to stand up against them and what happens disaster and terribleness and so we should all strive to be heroes <laughs> <laughs> and explode into red mist like the sheriff did when That's he got right. tagged what that a hero was, that was pretty spectacular though <laughs> the killings in this movie i have to say were and well and i don't tend to watch any like gorish horror so there's probably a whole collection of films that take it to like the next 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 level but for what i've seen those killings were pretty spectacular <laughs> <laughs> like I, I i could stomach them but they were really they were really visceral visceral they were visceral they and were, creative yeah. yeah yeah creative and kind of comical yeah mm -hmm. i mean you know you get uh you get the guns involved and uh you're gonna have dark humor in there mm -hmm. um <sighs> the whether or not there's a hero, you know, from the promotional material and just looking at the cast, I would have assumed Elizabeth Banks. Right. Um, but yeah, as the movie goes on, that's clearly not the case. Although I do want to point out that there was an early draft of the film where um, 
I think her name is Kaylee, the the girl he had a crush on. Caitlin. 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 Uh, the the girl whose hand he broke. There was an early version of the script where at the end of the movie she comes back into play, which you know she just kind of disappears yeah. after a little while. Uh, she comes back into play with a robot hand, you know, uh. where it seems like she's now going to to go on a quest for revenge <laughs> because Brandon killed her mom. Now that in that scenario, I'm like, okay, that's a slightly more cartoonish yeah, and yeah. step too far off the wall version. Like looking at that, I'm like, okay, so clearly there was a version of the script that was a little bit more bonkers and a little bit more like cartoony. Mm-hmm. And in that version of the script, I would argue that Caitlin would have been the hero because mm. she's like, I will vanquish this villain. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness this small town hospital was outfit with these robot arms. But also, I'm not, unless it also shoots lasers, I don't know how one robot hand is going to stop Superman. I don't. I don't. (laughs) Poke him in the eye really hard. (laughs) Well, if I've learned learned anything from Bucky uh, in the Marvel movies, when you have a robot arm, uh, just use a gun. Like that's all you gotta do. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why even bother? His yeah. dad tried that though, and it didn't work. <laughs> oh. It's because he wasn't using one with a metal arm. Though. That's right. Yeah. That's the that's the fatal flaw. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, I kind of have to agree. I don't think there's, I don't think there's a specific hero um, in this in this particular story, um, other than just the good people of this town who are trying to see that a murderer gets caught. Um, But yeah, outside of that, nothing, unless you want to count that little tiny square (laughs) towards the end of the movie. (laughs) There's a little, because uh, there's a a little cameo um, for another film. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the character's name is the Crimson Bolt. Oh, I have not seen that film, so I don't know, in fact, if he is good, but I do believe (laughs) he presents himself as a superhero and not a villain. So we had to wait until the mid-credits scene uh, for the hero of the story. (laughs) That's right. More more people from The Office. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a hero. Yeah. Which is actually maybe the ultimate answer to the beginning question of the show, why is this movie so scary? Mm -hmm. Ah. Mm. There is no hero. There is no Batman. There is no Justice League. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not entirely Mm. true, is it? uh, We will... uh, A little tease. We'll shelve that. uh, (laughs) Become a Patreon subscriber so you can hear the aftercast, and we will dive into that at that point. But for now... We are bright burned out on this, so we're going to go ahead and... Nice. Were you holding on to that one? I wasn't. It you, just came to me. I was oh. going to say, if you've been sitting on that this entire podcast. on the fly. <laughs> on the fly. Um, Scott, remind everybody where they can find you online. Yeah, the best place uh, for my actual content that I make is on YouTube. Just search for NerdSync, N-E-R-D-S-Y-N-C. I am super busy editing videos for other YouTubers at the moment, but I promise I will be back on my kick uh, very shortly. And uh, in the meantime, you can get updates on Twitter. Just search for at NerdSync. Same spelling. If you go back a couple seconds, I just spelled it for you. Excellent. 
Megan, remind everybody where they can find you. Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Manguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. I do a lot of things, so follow me on Twitter to stay up to date. All right, and thank you guys both for joining us again tonight. Well, thank you for having us, and thank you for sticking around for the aftercast as well. So, we are going to move on to that now. Well, that's it for today's show. Special thanks to Megan and Scott for joining us. Stay tuned all October for more horror content, and you might want to subscribe to our brand new channel, The Story Geeks Talk Disney Plus. That's right. We are starting an entirely new channel dedicated to sci-fi fantasy and comic book stories that appear on Disney+. Plus. We're really excited about this because we'll let you know what we'll be podcasting about. And if you're a Disney Plus subscriber, you can watch and discuss with us. It's going to be awesome. For more information, look for the Story Geeks Talk Disney Plus on your preferred podcast provider. And don't forget to subscribe. We're going to start recording our aftercast, so I hope you'll join us for that as well. We'll be digging into what else we'd love to see from the larger world of Brightburn. You can get more information on our aftercast and all other content over at thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth. Special thanks to these amazing people who help us produce the Story Geeks podcast by supporting us on Patreon. They are Anthony Holder, Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Brianna, Bryce Cox, Connie Moe, Jim and Mary Baldwin, Joshua Beckham, Jeremy and Kimberly Lujeau, Julian Armstrong, Monty Thigpen, Nathan Miller, Nick Prokop, Ray DeLeon, Sean R. Reed, Theme Park Pulse, and Wade Johnson. To gain access to our aftercast and unlock more Patreon rewards or just to support the show, be sure to head over to thestorygeeks.com for more information.